We acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the unceded, ancestral, and occupied traditional territory of the Anishinaabe Nation, the people of the three fires known as Ojibwe, Odawa, and Potawatomi Nations. And furthermore, we thank the Chippewa of Saugeen and the Chippewa of Nawash, now known as the Saugeen Ojibwe Nation, who are the traditional keepers of this land. In some parts of Canada, treaties were signed with First Nations that gave incoming settlers rights to much of the land, while in other areas, few or no treaties were signed. Unceded land was never given or legally signed away to Britain or Canada. It was stolen and continues to be occupied and governed by settlers today. As we live, work, surf, and play, we say mahalo to the Métis, Inuit, and Indigenous peoples of Turtle Island and from around the world who have stewarded these lands and sacred surf spots for thousands of years. We recognize their amazing resistance, resilience, and strength in the face of ongoing dispossession, colonial violence, and injustice. In particular, we wish for justice to be brought for the murdered and missing Indigenous children and victims of Canada's residential school system. We believe that for true healing and harmony to occur, we must end the cycle of oppression while working together as we move forward in truth and reconciliation. We can be better. We can do better. Welcome to Permastote. I'm your host, Derek Hyatt. In this podcast, we talk to your favorite surfers and stand-up paddleboarders from across the Great Lakes, Canada, the U.S., and beyond. We take a peek into their lives and find out what it means to be stoked. Is it a natural state of euphoria, elation, a relentless commitment? I also talk to other permastoked individuals with ties to surf culture, such as artists, entrepreneurs, environmentalists, filmmakers, musicians, and much more. Join us each week in learning from these field experts and enthusiasts, while also being inspired by their undying passion, insights, and rad tales. Permastoked is presented by Freshwater Surf Goods, your surf brand devoted to spreading the stoke across the unsalted seas and cultivating pride amongst the surf community. We do this by providing products and apparel that celebrate the awesomeness of both Great Lakes and Canadian surf culture. Stand out in the tribe by rocking our gear today. But hey, don't just stand around on the beach looking cool. Check out our Stoke Academy and try surfing or stand up paddleboarding. Get away to Ontario's magnificent Bruce Peninsula where we offer Paddle Canada certified basic and advanced sub courses private lessons, tours, subsurfing, and even beginner surfing lessons. Visit www.freshwatersurfgoods.com to sign up for your freshwater fantasy. Living betwixt the foggy rainforest and the seaside in Tofino, British Columbia, in this episode, I interview Surfrider Pacific Rim Chapter Manager and Regional Coordinator of Surfrider Canada, Lily Woodbury. Lily spends her days working towards a regenerative planet and lifting up other folks to do the same. As an activist and environmental communicator, 
She is specifically interested in implementing and sharing strategic solutions to the planet's most pressing issues through a framework of intersectional environmentalism. While Surfrider's mission remains to be the protection and enjoyment of the world's ocean, waves, and beaches for all people through a powerful activist network. This episode was recorded on February 25th, 2021 and may contain coarse language. Listener discretion is advised. Lily Woodbury, welcome to the Permastoke podcast, Canada's number one surfing podcast. How are you doing? Hey, Derek. I am super stoked to be here. Thank you for having me. I didn't know it was number one. It's number one. Well, that's a self-proclaimed title that it's number one, and it's probably the only. Okay. No, you're right. Yeah. You're right. There should be podcast awards or something that we go to you so we can win an actual award, you know? So I'm claiming that until it's not claimable. As far as I know it, I can claim that title right now <laughs> and to be nominated on air for a podcast award from you. What an honor. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> It'll cost a donation of five grand. <laughs> yeah. The Canadian pod, the Canadian surfing podcast award goes to Derek Hyatt and Permastoke. Yeah. I'm <laughs> down. Yeah. Thank you for that. So yeah, so hey, you've been on many podcasts before, but let's but you have not been on a surfing podcast. You've been on a lot of environmental podcasts and things. So on today's show, we are going to dive down the rabbit hole of saving the earth. Before this interview is over, we will have a solution to the world's problem. <laughs> but we also can let your guard down. We can have fun. We're going to talk about surfing. So before we go into Surf Rider, let's talk about Lily Woodbury. Who is Lily Woodbury? Gosh, I'm still trying to figure that out. And I wish I had all the answers to the world's problems. I hope I don't disappoint people. I think maybe I have some of the answers to some of the problems. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't even have the answers to all my problems. So here we go. That's okay. We'll do our best. But a little bit about myself. My name is Lily Irina Woodbury. I was born in Tofino, British Columbia. That's where I'm zooming in, podcasting in from right now, from the unceded and traditional territories of the New Channel First Nations. Knew you were going to say that. Nice call. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, this will have a double land acknowledgement because i do the one from ontario already too so now you're you're hitting up the west coast so we're covering all our indigenous bases thank you yeah indigenous folks for taking care of this land and down with the colonial garbage yeah definitely (laughs) decolonize our minds and systems which is actually a big part of the big part of the solutions that we need So I'm from Tofino, but I moved from here when I was four, and I grew up on Manitoulin Island, uh, Ojibwe First Nations territory. And I, yeah, I grew up from there from four to 17 years old and grew up playing sports and being outside and was like very much a whimsical child. Like I was like a BC hippie child who got like transplanted in Ontario and people were like, Mm. who is this kid? Like. I didn't brush my hair. I didn't wash my clothes. I used my cat as a shirt. 
And oh. I remember this like one day my family was like, you need to stop wearing the cat as your shirt. Like it's making people uncomfortable. <laughs> and, like the cat likes it, but like no one, like you're getting too old for that. And I was like nine. Okay. So this yeah. is a living cat, not like a well, skin a, cat, was, right? Yeah. That was my okay. cat mother cat. <laughs> so I grew up wearing like her on, like holding her against me until I couldn't do that. Uh, I know I tried to break the record for not showering and that's where I really see where my environmental roots began, you know, is water mm. conservation. So nice. trying to break the record for not showering and I lasted about a, a month and a half, which is, you know, pretty impressive considering that I was like really a dirty, active, sweaty child. Like I was like yeah. filthy every day. It was like the more muddier I could get, the better. You're like that family. kid from uh, the Peanuts cartoons, Big Ben, like with the <laughs> debris flying around him. Yeah, that's me in a nutshell nice. for sure. And then, um, yeah, my family again had to break it to me that like there's some people that don't ever shower. Like some people don't have access to that. And I'm pretty sure I was still like going in the lake. So anyways, that was kind of, that was kind of me growing up. So and I remember I was, as a child, one yeah. summer, my cousins called me stinky. I remember I went like a month without a shower or bath too, except for pool, pool baths. That's not good either. Like all the <laughs> other other critters that are like strong against the chlorine that are like ended up in your system. Yeah. Okay. So not so smart. Anyway, sorry. Continue. Did you also roast bubble gum over the fire? No, that's interesting. That as well. I did that as well. Wow, I didn't know that's even a thing. Yeah, so that was another one of my favorite pastimes. But um, I think my favorite things was, was growing up was being outside and, and being active. From a young age, I was um, had a very strong competitive streak <laughs> to the point with to a fault. To be honest, you know, I think I had like a bit of like anger management issues when I would like lose or I wasn't like the best. But you know, that's been good in some ways because it's you know driven me to try to be the best surfer I can be and also try to be the best environmentalist I can be in this conservation mm. space. And that's where I find myself now back in Tofino in 2021. Wow. Incredible. So Manitoulin Island. So that's not far from where I am. I got to get on that Chichimon someday and check out where you're from. You do. And if you go on the Chichimon, you have to have a piece of pie. That was my tradition. Oh, really? Okay. What kind yeah. of pie? I think cherry is the best one. Okay. I'll take you up on that. Yeah, you gotta. So you're on the West Coast. You're okay. Tell me about your surfing. Where, how does surfing play a role in your life? <laughs> so I always think that if I hadn't left Afino, you know, maybe I would have ended up being a pro surfer. Uh, but because I moved back when I was 18, I started surfing, yeah, at 18 years old. Um, but just in the summers, as I went and did my degree, my, under, my undergraduate degree at the University of Toronto for yeah. four years. So I'd surf in the summers when I would come back. And then it was really when I was 22 and I finished school, it was like, okay, I need to like be doing this every day to get into it. Yeah. And so that's when I, and I actually had a really bad knee accident in um, university. I was actually in Ecuador and I tore my ACL, my MCL, my meniscus. And I actually had, had to crutch into the Amazon. <laughs> yeah. In a leg brace and crutches. So I wasn't, I wasn't able to play like basketball, volleyball, track and field. Like I used to do so many sports. I was super active. And so surfing and like yoga really became the two sports that mm -hmm. I still do. So I've kind of just, yeah. you know, used all my energy into that. And I think for me, I'd already solidified my path in environmentalism, but surfing was such a 
profound way for me to connect with the oceans. And if I was feeling burnt out or frustrated or overwhelmed to regain a sense of calm and a sense of, a sense of peace. Uh, so it was very re-energizing to this day. It's still so re-energizing being yeah. out there. And it's also been a way that I've been able to, you know, very luckily, I feel very privileged to say this, to be able to travel to really cool spots around the world and surf in like Bali and Sri Lanka and Hawaii yeah. uh, and get to know those places and get to know the culture through, through, through the sport of surf. So growing up where you did, did you know about Great Lakes surfing at all back then? I didn't really like, I, there was a, a couple kids in high school who did it and it was kind of just this fringe activity and we were like, that's kind of whack. <laughs> so, I was like that's really neat but also yeah kind of whack but like I grew up like you know you watch Blue Crush you see it in the media you're like everyone wants to be a surfer right so I was mm -hmm. like when I go back to Tofino like I'm gonna be a surfer I didn't think there was like real surfing in the Great Lakes which is funny because now I live here and I'm like it's like on my bucket list I'm like I need to surf the Great Lakes nice yeah it's funny how that happened yeah it sort of went from uh a laughing stock to something that people like you're saying are putting on their bucket list and taking seriously. It's actually really neat talking to some of the pros too, who purposely want to come to the great lakes now. So yeah. Yeah. Nice cool. to hear that. Um, surfer did, you know, surfer Dan? I do. Yeah. Yeah. We, should, we have our annual surf fighter short, short, short film festival. Uh, we held it in November and we, that was one of the films we showed and everyone loved it. It's like, such is a bad uh, Vice TV like Ice Beard movie? Yeah, yeah. I don't think so. No, it's not a Vice one. Oh, okay. The Ice Beard, but it's like very much a like kind of biographical film about his life and his connection and like yeah, he's just such a rad, authentic guy, okay. and he really opens up about his story and how surfing's kind of saved him. Yeah, yeah. He's got a couple out there floating around like that. So. Yeah. Right on. So, you know, Surf Rider, I've always thought, man, out of all the charitable organizations, Surf Rider has got the coolest freaking name. I mean, <laughs> now, when you go to a Surf Rider website or something, though, you can easily forget that surfing is even part of the initiative. I mean, because it is so saving the environment heavy and, and with a focus on water, obviously. But with a name like Surfrider, obviously in its origins, in its roots, I'm guessing there was a concerned surfer in there somewhere. So what is the history of the Surfrider, sort of the bigger picture? Yeah, such a great question. And, you know, it, you're, you totally bang on. Surfrider was started in 1984 by surfers who were eager to protect their surf break in San Clemente in California. Oh, okay. And so they were, they were protecting their surf break from development and protecting that coast, preserving it from development. So it kind of started from there um, in addressing, yeah, development. And we see this all around the world with surf breaks that are being threatened. And so from there though, you're right. It expanded to become not just about surfing, but protecting the coast for all coastal users, recreators, all people who live on the coast and depend on the coast and ocean for all of ecosystem services and all of our aspects of our well-being, you know, our spiritual, mental, physical, um, you know, our, our cultural health, all of these things. And so I sometimes I think people still think that it's just for surfers and it's really our, our history is rooted in that. That's how it began. But mm. it's 
for anyone. And the way I try to see it is like, you know, we surf the web. I think in a way we like, you know, we surf life as well. We surf the waves of life. We surf the waves of, of trials and tribulations. So in a way we are all, we're all surf riders. Like no matter yeah. if you surf on actual waves, no matter what you are. So I try to see it like that. And as you say, we, we focus on five key areas and that's plastic pollution, beach access, coastal preser- preservation, ocean protection, and clean water. And so within that, each chapter has the freedom to work on work on the issues that are most pertinent to their local area. So for us, you know, on Vancouver Island, we have a really big tourism economy, a really big fishing and aquaculture industry. The way Vancouver Island's geographically positioned, we're a hotspot for marine debris, both locally, but mm-hmm. also coming in from all around the North Pacific Gyre. So given that positionality in like our specific context, it made the most sense for us to work on plastic pollution here. Mm-hmm. So plastic pollution is the biggest initiative for the Tofino chapter? Yeah, so we work across the Pacific Rim. So Tofino, Euclid, and across the seven First Nations um, in and around Tofino, Euclid, and Clackwood and Barkley Sound. And so, yeah, we focus on ending plastic pollution on materializing a local circular economy. So finding issues for for waste items that are sent to landfill or end up polluting the oceans, beaches, uh, including cigarette butts, as well as regenerating coastlines. So we do a ton of work doing beach cleanups. And then as well as working with youth, businesses, government, and the public in general in in education and working on ocean-friendly initiatives together. Now, you know, there's several videos I've seen on the internet of people surfing and they're coming up, you know, against a bunch of plastic and like the wrappers around six packs and things like that. But in all my years of surfing in Tofino, um, I never really saw that. So where does Tofino stand on its sort of pollution or, um, I mean, is it more of a, a a model for other beaches or is it because there are so many beach cleanups and things or? Yeah, a bit of a mix. So in Tofino and Euclid on the West Coast, like any local beach you have, it's for the most part going to be pretty clean compared to mm. some countries that you go to and it's just totally inundated. And part of that is, you know, one, there's a culture of beach cleanups. So surf rider organizes cleanups. Individuals go out. There's people who have been going out for decades and doing this stuff. Yeah. Businesses also steward the beaches. So all the resorts that that work on those beaches, they steward them. Um, you know, so there's there's that. So you really, the local beaches are pretty self-regulated. However, in the summer months, we do see a rise in litter with tourists and people having beach fires and people forgetting. You find a lot of cans, mm. cigarette butts, glass, plastics. So we try in this, we try to focus our efforts in the local beaches in the summertime because every day, if you walk those beaches, you're going to find a ton of stuff. But they're massive and it's spread out, right? So you can look at it and it's like, oh, this is a clean beach. But once you actually start going, you will pick up like a whole room of stuff. Like it's it's wild. And beyond that, I think a lot of people see the local beaches and they're like, oh, you know, there's no problem here. It's not really that bad. Again, people are addressing it. And when you go to the remote places in Clackwood and Barkley Sound and anywhere else on Vancouver Island, you'll be shocked by the amount of plastic pollution you're going to find. You go into a beach that people never go to and it's going to have, you know, we have these one ton super sack bags. It'll have like one ton 
to like 10 tons of these, like 10 of these bags on these beaches. Like it's just everywhere you look, there is so much stuff of consumer plastics, of industry plastics. So it's, you know, as soon as you take a short boat ride out, it is mind blowing to see the level of pollution present. And unfortunately, it's kind of a case of like, what you don't see, you're not really as aware about. And so people, you know, if they see litter here on the West coast, they get really upset. They're like, Oh, tourism's creating all this litter. And it's like, well, it's not just now, this is all the time. If you knew or looked at the remote beaches, you'd know this is an ongoing crisis and we need to be addressing this all the time. Not just when we see it in our backyard. Yeah. So, you know, in terms of litter, like when I think about there being plastic in the, in the water and on the beach, I often like my mind just resorts to thinking about littering and people throwing their, their stuff, but the mass amount of litter that's found in the ocean, I can't help but think that that's gotta be more than just pedestrians throwing stuff out there. Like, I mean, where is all this garbage coming from? I don't understand. Like, is there landfills right on the coast? I mean, how does it all get in there? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. Like so much of this narrative has been really been blaming individuals and consumer plastics and, you know, consumer plastics do make up a significant amount of what's in the oceans, but so is, so is plastics from the shipping industry, you know, the tourism industry with cruises, with fishing and aquaculture, fishing and aquaculture is a massive one. You know, I would say up to around 70% of what we collect is from the fishing and aquaculture of their equipment, their gear, their infrastructure with tons of unencapsulated styrofoam, buoys, crates, um, docks, like it's, it's just wild. So it is, it is a lot of big industry. So it is, it's a big mix. And even for the single-use plastics, like you can't expect individuals to fully be able to solve that because most plastics aren't recyclable. They're not recyclable. Our waste management system is, you know, pretty poor in Canada compared to what it could be. Like Mm. we only recycle 9% of plastics in Canada. 91% is sent to landfill, incinerated, or ends up in the environment. And, you know, a big part of that is that producers aren't responsible like they're just not responsible it's like oh i'm gonna make all this plastic you know distribute all of it then i just wipe my hands clean now it's left to Mm. you and me to deal with and what we have is a barely even recyclable item because they've added Mm. so much additives plasticizers chemicals to it to make it as cheap as possible but then when it goes to be recycled it's it's hard for it to be it can maybe be recycled one to three times but it's got all this junk in it, right? So it just depreciates in value every time. Unlike, you know, material like aluminum that just, it never depreciates. It just stays the same. Mm. And so what we need to be doing is, you know, we need to put that onus back on corporations, like make them responsible operationally, financially for the end of life of these items. We need government to not subsidize the fossil fuel industry, which Mm. is connected to the plastics industry. Who are able to make this stuff so cheap. Like we need to drastically roll back the scale that we are producing plastics. Like I think it was a recent stat by Oceana that stated that Canada, no, it wasn't Oceana. It was the Canadian council of environmental ministers. Um, and they stated that there's going to like plastic production in Canada is going to increase by like 30% by 2030. And it's like 30%, like we don't even have a system now to deal with it. Like how are we going to deal with that volume when we don't even have a system now to keep these items in a closed loop, closed loop system. 
And for a lot of things, you know, there's, there's some applications that we need it for, you know, like you look at, if you look at a pie chart of everything that plastics used for in terms of like construction, automobiles, medical and science, you know, then there's like the whole panoply of like products and packaging. There are some things we need it for like that. The first items I mentioned for automobiles, construction, but for products and packaging, like there's so many alternatives that mm, we can go with now. Yeah. So we really need to also scale systems for refill and reuse. So plastic gets a real bad rap these days. I mean, plastic is like the devil. Is plastic evil or is it just the way we are currently using it? Yeah, I think a lot of things are are nuanced and I think it's important to recognize that like plastic has helped with many developments in medical and science and has helped us, you know, do things that maybe otherwise we wouldn't have been able to achieve. However, the rate at which we're using it is is completely unsustainable. Mm-hmm. You know, it's we're we're using it and just throwing it away. We like we've taken something that could have been used for very specific applications and now blown it up and used it for everything and really used it as a vehicle for mass consumerism. You know, that's what happened following World War II. It like just became part of this culture of 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 consuming and being a way to facilitate making that happen easier. Everyone buys their, you know, microwave dinners and then just throw it out after mm-hmm. you buy things and use it once you throw it out after. So it's, so there's, there's that, but on the other side as well, like the whole life cycle of plastics are damaging from manufacturing through to disposal. So, you know, it, it is wrong. It is (laughs) evil that, you know, especially like communities that are marginalized, particularly lower socioeconomic and black indigenous people of color live closer to plastic refineries. They live closer Mm. to the ethylene plants, to the pipelines where the natural gas is getting shipped for plastics. They live closer to the incinerators, the landfills. And so it's also an issue of environmental racism that right now Mm. it's like plastic itself is problematic as a petrochemical material that will never biodegrade, but it's our systems around it that are also inherently unjust. This is a very fascinating term to me, environmental racism. So part of our culture, this sort of passiveness, it sounds like, um, is actually racism. Where we put these factories, how we, yeah. So maybe tell us a little more about that, because that is just fascinating to me. It is. It's it's really important for people to know and understand because I think people just see environmentalism as separate from people and we can't do that. We can't divorce the social components from the environmental work we do. We will just end up perpetuating the same environmental problems. So environmental racism is a term to describe when um, marginalized people are disproportionately impacted by environmental exploitation, degradation, and pollution, and more severely feel the impacts of, of that degradation and pollution. And so, you know, it doesn't, you can look at any map, you know, there was one I looked at in the U S and it was just wild. You look at like the landfills and the toxic sites all around the U S you look mm-hmm. at who's living around them. Majority is black indigenous people of color mm-hmm. and some lower socioeconomic status communities. Like they are, intentionally placed near those places like it's cheaper it's cheaper they're pushed out they're pushed out there 
And then it's awful because they, that when that happens, those folks are then exposed to a higher amount of, of pollutants. And so they end up having more health issues and that keeps them trapped in like in, in dis-ease in a lot of ways. Mm. And it's the same story in Canada as well. You know, you look at indigenous nations whose territories, the pipelines are crossing and the spills into the lands, into the waters and those mm. living near plastic refineries. It's the same story. And so, and, and to actually zoom out even further, you know, Canada, along with a host of, of developing nation of developed nations have sent plastic waste. Like literally it's like they send it for recycling, but it's literally garbage, like gross contaminated stuff, diapers. They're sending it to developing nations that didn't want it. And so the Philippines a few years back actually sent us like, I forget what it was. I was like, I think it was 2,500 tons of just like plastic crap back from the Philippines. And that too is racism. That's racism. Why are we sending our stuff that we should be dealing with to a developing nation so that they can deal with it? So they can deal with all this garbage and they can just be a landfill for us. Like that's, and that's also waste colonialism, to be honest, it's racism and it's waste colonialism using a settler, using um, indigenous land or developing nations land for their, for their waste. So in thinking about these topics, it's, it's really important to see kind of the bigger picture around this that like, yeah, we all need to give up. We all need to, you know, give up the single use plastics, our coffee cups, water bottles, you know, the straws, bags, the whole nine yards. But it goes deeper than that. The whole system needs to be reformed. And to do that, we need stronger environmental regulations and to put the onus back on the corporations. Mm. Absolutely. So I've heard. I've been taught through a yogic lens before that there's nothing on this earth um, that wasn't there before. Like everything comes from some kind of element that's already there, um, like these fossil fuels from deep in the ground. But the problem is, is these things in their natural element are contained and sort of being used for probably what nature intended them to be. But then here we are as humans, you know, kicking all this stuff up from under the ground. And even something that really irks me in life is the fact that we allow um, granite and marble countertops, for example. Like the fact that we just dig into mountains and take that away. I mean, that's not something that grows back, right? Oh, exactly. Exactly. Like we're not everything that we do, we're doing is being done at a rate that things can't be replenished. It's not mm-hmm. being done in a way that can be sustained. And again, at the cost of the environment and at cost of the communities who live near those places, you know, there's an awesome um, podcast. It's called green dreamer. It's my favorite environmental podcast. You got to check okay. it out. Okay. By Shane, and she's like a total environmental whistleblower. Like she's just so freaking rad. And she has a lady on called Teresa Cody, who is a, um, architect from Vancouver, actually. And she says, you know, we've taken more stuff out of the earth in the past two decades than we have of all of human mm. history. And yeah. most of that has actually gone into construction, which mm. is really wild. And so much of it's also gone into things that we don't need that have ended up in landfills. Like we've taken all these sacred substances out of the earth, mm-hmm. you know, used it once. And then our linear throwaway society, it's, it's ended up in these big piles of landfills all around the world where you can't use it. It's just, it's done now. You know, I think there's some work being done to reclaim some of the landfills, but, um, you know, largely it's, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. Well, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm wondering how you feel about this, but 
you know, you and I, I imagine you're a little younger than I am, but I imagine we're still, you know, closer. So I feel like in my life that I've looked to those that are older than me as they have all the knowledge. We trust our parents. We trust our government. You know, we, we, we trust all these things. Um, but then now as we grow up and we, we see more with our own eyes, I'm like, We've just been operating, taking, taking, taking as if we've done this over and over before, but we haven't. We've never been at this place in history. We've never had this many people on earth. We've never consumed at this rate, but yet I feel like we just turn a blind eye that everything's going to work out because it always has. Um, Yeah. But to me, it's getting scary. It's kind of getting to that place where it's like, I don't know, like, are we going to be, you know, the next uh, dinosaurs? Like, is there going to be, are we going to see it all end? You know, I really hope not. But it is interesting in our short lifespan, like you're saying, the amount of change that we have seen that, like you're saying, in the past took hundreds of years for a certain development. Now we're doing in, you know, a couple days or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're totally right on a lot of those points. It's like, we've been, we've been acting in this way of linear growth of unfettered capitalist growth it for, you know, the fortune of very few people. And, you know, we've reached that carrying capacity. It's been, you know, we knew the climate change and all of these issues were present decades ago. Mm-hmm. Scientists knew and tried to warn. Governments knew and didn't do anything. You know, big corporations knew and covered it up. And you know, this was in like the seventies and eighties. Mm-hmm. Now we're in twenty twenty one. You know, looking at wow, we should have been really working to address this then, and now we're at this critical point. Yeah. But we still have a window of hope. The Earth wants to bounce back. The Earth is so regenerative in nature mm-hmm. that if we allow it to and we give we you know we we invest in the tools to regenerate the earth it will come back you know scientists have said that we have enough tools and knowledge to create an an ocean renaissance by 2030 Mm -hmm. that we can come back from pollution and overfishing and you know address mitigate climate change like there are incredible solutions out there so i never want people to feel like there's no hope you know that's exactly what the bigger powers want because if Mm -hmm. you don't believe there's any hope, you're not going to do anything to change it. When you believe there's hope, yeah. you guarantee there's hope and you're more likely to do something about it. Like at the same time, you know, we've also come so far environmentally and socially, like women's rights, um, you know, all kinds of people's rights, mm-hmm. different, you know, the, the clean energy revolution, you know, in terms of the circular economy, it's come so far, you know, species have been brought back from the brink of extinction, you know, like humpback whales, like we have to yeah. remember the progress that we've made, you know, air has never been like cleaner, like mm-hmm. LA and London, the amount of deaths that used to occur and the amount of deaths that have been saved, it's in the hundreds of millions in the last wow. few decades, just by yeah. cleaner air, by yeah. having um, like cars have become so much cleaner with their filters and with mm-hmm. the exhaust. And, you know, same for clean water, more people have 
clean water than they ever have. You know, there's poverty as at its lowest it's ever been. Our quality of life is going up. So there's actually all of these incredible things happening, but we still have this very cynical view of humanity and we really need to change that. You know, and there's a, there's a great book I've been, I've been just, I love it so much. I talk about it in a lot of podcasts and a lot of media called humankind, a hopeful history. And it's about, you know, a hopeful view is threatening to those in power. They depend on us not not having hope and just, you know, just being like, oh, I'm just going to give up and I'm just going to run with this. That's what they want. Wow. So it is interesting that attitude you're mentioning. I've, I've come up across that many times where, yeah, why would I contribute to this cause? It's not really going to make a difference. Just yeah. Me, right. Yeah. That's a very that's common so attitude. You know? And if everyone said that, if everyone said that, yeah, there would be no hope, you know, but if everyone you can do something, you know, not every, not all folks are in a position to be able to make change, but if the folks, all the folks that can and do, you know, we can create a groundswell even larger than what we're seeing right now. And so at Surfrider, that's what we're really trying to do is to tap into all kinds of folks, no matter what skills, passions you have, there's an alignment with a way to restore and protect the oceans and coastlines. And that, you know, we have the tools like, you know, looking at this is a bit of a different topic, but um, kiss the ground, which is all about regenerative agriculture, that we can essentially heal the soils of the world using regenerative agriculture, uh, create more food, create more jobs, address the chemicals of industrial agriculture, because they won't, they like not using any chemicals. And by the soils becoming more rich with water and bioorganisms, it's going to have this amazing capacity to draw down carbon. Like we can essentially reverse climate change. We have the tools to do it. Anyone who wants to learn how we can reverse climate change, I definitely invite them to check out Project Drawdown, which is a hundred top solutions for, yeah, mitigating and reversing climate change. Wow. I came into this feeling like it was all over. Now you're picking me right up. I'm like, wow. Don't feel like it's all over. Like Seven generations. The rebellion, like I love Extinction Rebellion, the rebellion is knowing that it's not and being a part of keeping this planet alive. You know, so many people have sacrificed for you and I and so many of our contemporaries, everyone alive right now, they made great sacrifices, you know, socially, politically, environmentally, so that we would have a better way of life. You know, people in the medieval ages, they talked about how these times they called it the land of plenty of where people would able to move around freely and would have, you know, enough food, enough water, and they would be safe and they would have shelter and they would be able to gather. And, you know, when you actually look at those, those documents of what they imagined, this utopia, we're living that like, yeah. we are living in the land of plenty, but we have gone out of balance. And so, you know, I, I love the quote by Oscar Wilde that says, progress is the realization of utopias. It's never mm. done. Our work is never done, but we have essential work to do right now to address right. the climate crisis and, and the systems of environmental and social degradation and oppression. So what are you guys doing through Surfrider Pacific Rim to combat this, to keep us afloat? <laughs> yeah, great question. So at, at Surfrider, Surfrider does so many initiatives on coastal and ocean conservation, but specifically on the central west coast of Vancouver Island. Uh, you know, we're really focused on, again, tackling plastic pollution. So for us, over the years, we've been working to ban different items. Tofino was the first town in Canada to ban plastic straws and the first town mm. to voluntarily give up plastic straws. And that was back in 2016. And that was before you know, plastic pollution had kind of become this big player on the world stage in terms of what people paid attention to environmentally. And so 
yeah, we banned straws through the straw suck campaign. Then we worked to ban bags. And now most recently, um, in the late 2020 polystyrene foam takeaway containers were also banned from our forget the foam campaign. And now we are working to ban plastic and bioplastic cutlery. And we're going to continue on. Like our goal by the end of next year is to have all the single use plastic takeaway packaging eliminated, including single use plastic water bottles, 1.5 liters and under. Nice. So that's our big goal for that. You know, at the local level, municipalities have the jurisdiction to ban single use items. So that's what we work on at that level. Okay. What about uh, plastic yeah. uh, coffee cup lids? That yeah, would be a big one. It. Okay. That's on the list. And, you know, we have our ocean friendly business campaign. So we work with businesses to support them in giving up plastics, adopting uh, sustainable practices. And so we've been getting them to switch on that for years. So we're going to have 60 businesses registered this spring across the coast. And there's a couple hundred total businesses. So 60 is like a pretty good chunk of them. And now they're all, they've all become like really incredible leaders in, in their practices. And so coffee cups have been part of that. And most businesses now are using the sugar cane lids, mm-hmm. sorry, not sugar cane, paperboard. So they're actually a paper lid. So if it goes in the ditch, it goes in the ocean, it's going to degrade. It can be composted. Again, it's like the ideal is for people just to have the reusable. It's better just to have a reusable that you use forever. Um, but when that's, when that's not possible, the backyard compostable and an item that's not going to pollute the oceans, like paper is going to break down in like, you know, less than a week is, is great. So yeah, we, we do that. We also do a lot of work on waste with our, our regional district, the Alberni Clackwood regional district to divert waste from landfill. So all of our marine debris that we collect in our cleanups, we divert that from landfill. It gets recycled by our partner, Ocean Legacy. We recycle cigarette butts. They actually go to a company in Ontario called TerraCycle. You turn them into plastic lumber. So you can have like a plastic lumber house made from butts. Built out of cigarette butts. Built out of cigarette butts. And my goal this Wouldn't year... Wouldn't that just that, smell like a smoker's house all the time, though? It will. So you <laughs> feel a lot of incense. And it's okay. gross. And they tell you there's a big sign that comes with this says, don't lick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, wow. just joking. I'm just joking. I th- I've never actually smelt it, but I, I think it's probably fine. So we really want to get some of that lumber and create a butt bench. So people can sit their butt on the butt bench. Nice. I like it. Wow. Very creative. Yeah. We try to get like campaigns. They're just creative in nature. You're always trying to come up with new, fun, freaky ideas. We also have our local shaper, um, Stefan Afghan, is making mm. a board out of cigarette butts. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. That'll be cool to see. Yeah. I'll send you some photos once you get it going. So yeah. yeah, super stoked about that as well. Yeah. So, you know, eventually like we'd love to get, plastic cigarette butts bands you can't even make them like make them out of something that's biodegradable but of course it's plastic is cheapest you know but it ends up you know like they're the they're the number one littered item here and around the world like it's just it's just wild and it's not really talked about so i wonder how many fires i've started around this country you know like back in the 90s when i was smoking i remember you know we just pitch them out the window after man not i had to if I had to go around and pick those all up now, that's kind of embarrassing. Well, I have good news for you, Derek, because anyone can start a cigarette butt recycling program. It's free to start anywhere in Canada. All you need to do is like create a profile on TerraCycle. You sign up to recycle cigarette butts and you send the butts in and you can make money for charities or schools. Like we, really? 
signed ourselves up. We're like, we'll keep the money. <laughs> so we're a nonprofit doing this. And we've gotten like a thousand dollars over the last few years. And we're close to a million butts recycled. Wow. This kind of sounds like a uh, promotion to smoke, you know, because it's like, <laughs> yeah. smoke them up and give us oh your butts. This is more like a, if you have to smoke and you're addicted and you can't then, stop, then recycle yeah. them. Yeah. yeah, it's out of our mandate. Like, we're not a health organization, so it's out of our <laughs> to tell people, like, do or don't smoke. Obviously, it's better for your people on the planet if there is no smoking, but the the reality is is that there's cigarette butt pollution and yeah. it's impacting the waters and the beaches. So we need to we address that. But um yeah, it's right. We've actually had that conversation where we've like we've set it up so that residents can drop off their butts. And there's some people bringing in hefty loads. Wow. Our teams like what if people are just smoking away being like, you know, I can recycle these now and it like you know remediate some sort of guilt. And I'm like, well that's not good. That's not yeah. good. <laughs> That's not good for the lungs, yeah. No, no, wow. it's not. And again, they're like cigarette butts are also polluting throughout all throughout all stages of their life cycle yeah. as well. You know, but now what about that. surfboards? Surfboards. Yeah. I mean surfboards themselves aren't necessarily, you know, the best products either, probably. Yeah. I wrote an article about this a few years back and I interviewed Stefan Afdanis. And it was really interesting because I was kind of on the train of like, uh, you know, we should be making boards out of the, the eco foam, like fire wire should be all these environmentally friendly materials. And Stefan was like, you know, when you, when those break though, they're garbage, like you can't, okay. you can't fix them. And, you know, he's like, you put those, you drop those in the ocean. They're he's like, I guarantee you, they're not going to be the best either. Mm. Uh, and so he's like, I, he's like, I've kept hundreds of boards out of landfill that are, that are plastic based because I've been able to fix them and fix them and fix them and keep them in use. So it's, it is a, it's a, it's a, non, it's a necessary evil, I guess that it, mm. that it facilitates getting people out into the ocean. And so it's like, how do we ensure that we can repair them, um, keep them in use. And when they are no longer repairable, that we can recycle them. Okay. So that's, that's the big thing is like closing the loop on, on cigarette, on not cigarette, <laughs> cigarette boards on surfboards. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. <laughs> cigarette boards. We just make all surfboards out of the cigarette butt, just like all the junk. Let's just turn it into surfboards. Like, and that actually is something I feel very passionate about. Like, let's just turn all the junk into stuff we need. Like there's a company yeah. turning bubble gum. Cause bubble gum is the second most littered item in the world next to cigarette really? butts. There's this company called gumdrop. They're turning it into chairs, pet houses, frisbees, coffee mugs, tables, headphones. Like you can get anything made out of chewing gum. And that wow. blows my mind. Yeah. That's pretty like, cool. There's like algae in in Florida. There's these algae blooms from all the chemicals used in the industrial farming sector. And so there's these big algae blooms. There's a company called Bloom taking that foam and turning it into like the rubbery part of shoes. Mm. So that's like typically this plastic that we have on our shoes called EVA foam. And it's like super toxic. So they're taking a pollutant out of the oceans and turning it into something we need. I'm like, that is so genius. Like, let's just do that. I think some people are afraid of this topic because they might fear that they have to lose something. Um, but it sounds like there is a solution for almost anything. Like you can make products out of previous products, like you're saying. I mean, yeah, there's alternatives. Like we just need to sort of pivot or shift. Um, Earlier, you mentioned capitalism. Now, I've had this idea floating around in my mind. This would probably make like a good sci-fi movie or something. 
But I was thinking, like, let's imagine it got really bad. The world is on the brink. It's like we got to do something or this isn't going to work anymore. And I was thinking right now we live in this world where we're all we're just driven by this capitalist economy, at least in North America. It's all about me and the stuff I have. But imagine if that was no longer a priority. The priority is just living, staying alive. And so the economy actually shifts to basically working and paying to stay alive. So my work, my contribution, whatever that is, whatever field I'm in, is actually paying the people like yourself who are either doing the research or putting the teams together to do the work. Interesting. It yeah. kind of have you looked into the uh, degrowth theory? No, what's that? Degrowth theory is like been established as a as an answer to capitalism where we're working less days per week, where we're not consuming nearly as much as we are right now. So it's a return to like greater simplicity, but without without having to give up everything that people are thinking. You know, we can still yeah. live like super modernly and with our technology and with like great transportation and, and what have you not, but we're not consuming to the same, to the same extent, not nearly close to the same extent, you know, we're growing more of our own food we're way more localized, you know, our energy systems are way more decentralized communities have a lot more power um, for, for their, for their systems. Um, yeah. Like working less days a week. Like it's actually crazy to see, like the emission reduction that we would have if people worked four days a week and people would be happier. Uh, like yeah. Drops off after four days. And yeah, that fifth day is yeah. a waste. It's just a waste. I want, I want to be Friday right now. It's a Thursday. I'm like, yeah. this should be my cherry on top of the week and I should go play now. Yeah. And I'll Monday to continue kicking butt on the environmental stuff. And the only reason we're doing this is because we've been programmed to do it because we think we have to do it. Yeah. Um, we're totally conditioned. Yeah. It sucks. I know. I'm thinking that too. Who invented this working five to seven days a week? I mean, yeah. And at the end of your life, you look back all that time. No, like there's a sad guru. I've mentioned this before on the show, but he's a, um, a yogi and he made a comment one time, like someone asked him a question about they feared that robots were going to take over industry and people wouldn't have jobs, right? So automatically, most people default to, oh, well, that sucks. Robots are taking the jobs. We need those jobs. So that's bad. And then he made the argument, well, but imagine if all the robots were doing the jobs, that would free you up for other stuff. Like, yeah. it's only us that's programmed in that, oh, I have to go to work five days a week because, because well, what if a machine did do it and, totally. and it was greener and then you could enjoy some free time? I don't know. I'm just saying I'm going to be pissed in my lifetime if I work my ass off and then my kids live in this more utopia world where things have changed and they're working like two days a week. Oh, man. But then you can also work two days a week and you can all hang out together, you know, and then you can grill them with the days of how hard it was, you know, working all day, podcasting at night. Yeah, that's the, true. The, 
the hardships of it all. But yeah, 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 definitely check out degrowth theory. It's a really cool answer to that. And it's like, we spend so much of our money on things we don't need. Like we're just brainwashed through advertisements, through media that like, we're not good enough and everything to feel good enough is for sale. So we end Mm. up spending so much money on stuff we don't need. When you look at your basics, like you don't need nearly as much, especially if you take like food growing back into your power. If you're able to repair things, you're able to keep things in use, you're able to reuse things. But instead, like there's this all this planned obsolescence. There's all these ways to keep us buying new things Mm. all the time that are increasingly expensive. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, we hear this all the time. What can we do? Us little lowly people at home listening to this podcast, feeling the burden of it all like we got, we got the world on our shoulders what can we do that's going to make a difference yeah you know that's it's a good question and i want people to feel hope i want people to feel that they are a necessary part of the change and we get involved in making a change our the quality of our life increases because we are part of like not only healing the planet but healing ourselves no matter who you are like we are feeling grief at this time like mm. there's sixth mass species extinction, the climate crisis, pollution, the state of the oceans. Like there's so many things happening. Like it is natural for us to feel pain and to, to go through and process that pain. So that's, that's really important. And for folks on the ground, you know, I I also want to emphasize that there is no perfect environmentalism that if you don't feel like you can be perfect, that you shouldn't be involved is, is totally wrong. And, you know, I think there might be like some pressure from like social media or again, like corporations or whatever, but no matter what you can do, it, it helps. And it looks different for every person. It's circumstantial. Some communities don't have clean water. So of course they're going to have to use plastic water bottles or some mm-hmm. communities don't have a lot of money because they've been impacted by colonization and by capitalism. And so they are having to rely on like cheap foods packaged in plastic. We can't blame those people. We need to address the systems causing that in the structures of our society. So for people, I think like an important one is like, if you can make individual change, you know, then great, then great. But it's really important for us to get involved in like environmental restoration efforts. You know, we put our hand in the soil or the sand that also heals us. When we heal the earth, we heal ourselves. You know, when we dig into the earth, we release oxytocin in our brain, which makes us feel good. And we need to be finding a way to create systemic change, whether we're working for an educational institution and we can get them to divest or become zero waste or adopt other policies that are environmentally and socially beneficial or, you know, working to pressure big industry and big corporations to to ditch plastics, to divest, to, you know, to, to change their, their operations and, you know, big shout out to Greenpeace for being such an awesome organization that just does so well at pressuring corporations and getting big corporations to change, like, mm-hmm. you know, getting involved with those types of organizations that are calling the corpse out and getting them, you know, on board with, with, you know, change. And it's all done through people power. And then as well, like we are all, we're all citizens. Our government is meant to serve us. We forget mm-hmm. that. You know, we forget that because so much of the time they're serving the interests of industry and corporations. And that's where all the big subsidies and tax breaks are. They're meant to be serving you and I. They're supposed to be serving people on the ground. They have our best interests. We need to make what we want known. And so, you know, the fancy term of lobbying, but that just, that's just simple. It just means directly communicating about what you want with government. Tell your local governments, tell your regional governments, tell your provincial, tell your, tell your 
your member of parliament for the federal level that you want action on plastics, that you want action towards becoming zero waste, that you want action on climate change and habitat protection and habitat restoration. And that like, in order to really have a just recovery from this pandemic, we need to like massively, massively invest in a green economy. So those are the pieces that are really important. It's like, yeah, you know, work to give up all the single use plastics, you know, that, that makes, it does make a difference. I don't want to discount that, but as much as possible, if we can be making change in industry and in businesses mm-hmm. and institutions and government, that is massive. A hundred, a hundred corporations in the world are responsible for 70% of the pollution. So that's pretty elucidating about where our attention should be. Yeah. I've often thought like, for example, if you have a drink, okay, uh, let's say you got a plastic bottle, you finish it, you got a choice. Am I putting that in the recycle or the garbage? Okay, I put it in the recycle. But then think about at the same time, a major league baseball game or a football game or something where there's just thousands of recyclables, for example, going in the trash, like every minute. So sometimes I do struggle with that. What can we do um, when you're one person and there, there's this whole bigger thing? So I like what you said about putting pressure on the corporations because I do feel like we get this messaging all the time that we're the problem. We're the ones no. doing it all. And um, I like what you're saying because I heard another interview you did and it was talking about Amazon and just how... <laughs> bad Amazon is. And we all love Amazon. We all love our Amazon Prime um, getting that package in two days. But is it really worth it because of the no, sacrifice it's causing? It. Yeah. And Amazon is like, oh, I see the doggy. So cute. Yeah, there's Mahalo. <laughs> I love hi Mahalo. I love Mahalo. Mahalo, come here. Mahalo stands with me against Amazon. I can yeah. tell. Um, you love yeah. Safino too, yeah. Oh, good dog. It is a heaven for dogs here. Yeah, yeah. And Amazon's like, along with Facebook and some of the other big players, like they have massively profited off the pandemic. Mm. That is not right. That is not right that we are living in this time of this wealth disparity where the poor have gotten so much poorer and the richest companies in the world have increased their revenues by billions and billions of dollars. Like that is wow. absurd. Meanwhile, they're continuing to pollute the land sea and skies Mm. and impact people negatively so no it's i yeah cancel your freaking amazon prime something i did recently i quit my netflix and now i'm donating to different environmental and social organizations especially that are black indigenous people of color owned and operated so i was like screw this i'm off netflix it was good for winter but i'm done now so i'm gonna put that money into other things that really matter and if we look through all of our finances like divesting from our big banks and going with a credit union if we're investing in anything getting that taken out of fossil fuels and and polluters and putting that into green investments clean energy you know all those kinds of things are are really important so so is so is netflix bad or is it just about a reallocation of funds for you personally you know i've been wondering that like i honestly wouldn't be shocked if like netflix is invested in like big agriculture, big oil, big mining or anything like that. I really wouldn't be shocked um, because they're so huge. Um, But I'm not entirely sure. I need to, I need to look it up. But for me, it was, yeah, reallocation of funding and like 
you know, there's some good movies on there, but at the end of the day, it's like, you're spending so much of your time watching stuff. Like, what are you, what are you really, what are you really getting up to? So, you know, as a way to like free up time and also free up funds for things that, that matter. I'm going to guess that with this being a surf podcast, I'm going to guess that most of the people listening are probably on board with this conversation. They're probably agreeing. Um, of course, there's going to be some people who don't. There always is. But I think you, the biggest controversial thing that you said is stop watching Netflix. That <laughs> is going to enrage people. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I'm just saying like, let's look at what we're spending our funds on and what is necessary and what Uh, isn't necessary. And for me, watching Netflix wasn't necessary for a lot of us. Amazon prime isn't necessary for some folks that might be, they might be in a remote community and it is for essential things that they need. You know, again, this is like super contextual and looks different for everyone. Um, So just, yeah, looking at what we need and what we don't and, you know, putting those funds into things that, that matters is really important. You know, it's like I actually wrote a post recently called Greening the Cloud, and it's the impact that the Internet actually has on the climate. And the Internet actually is on par with the aviation industry in terms of the emissions produced. It's about 3% of global emissions come from the Internet. And about 1% of that 3% is from Internet streaming of Netflix, online video streaming, Hub, like YouTube. Like those are all like the big players of what make up that 1%. Did you say Pornhub? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wait a minute. Controversial thing I said. (laughs) That's what sorry, they're one of the biggest. What was that again? What were those what were those sites guilty of? (laughs) I always get people interested with that one. So these so yeah, the internet relies on data centers and data infrastructure, which is, you know, for the most part, it's reliant on fossil fuels. A lot of these centers have moved over to being powered by clean energy, which totally makes sense. Like they're these like, you know, grids that can be powered by, that don't need to be powered by, by fossil fuels, they can be powered by clean energy. Um, But a lot of them are, are fossil fuel run. And so because yeah, our, our internet has grown exponentially, it's so massive, our storage is so massive, the carbon emissions are really huge. Mm. And streaming films, streaming videos is is incredibly data intensive. And so it ends up in the it ends up resulting in in more emissions. And so and you look up the one percent of so that's like yeah, three percent of global emissions come from the internet, which is probably actually even higher now. And 1% of that is from video streaming. And that is split up between like Netflix, Pornhub, YouTube, and a few other smaller wow. video watching channels, Vimeo, what have you not. Wow, incredible. It, it's amazing. Like everything we do seems to have a footprint. You know? Everything we do does have a footprint. Yeah. Exactly. You need to look at it in more of a holistic way like that. Wow. So... You know, I, I checked out the website, lots of cool programs. One of the programs that really stood out to me that I thought was kind of neat is called Wetsuit Reincarnation. I knew you were going to say that yeah, one. Yeah, that one's rad. Tell me about it. Yeah, so that's also part of our circular economy efforts. You know, in the West Coast, we use a lot of neoprene because we're surfing, we're kayaking. You know, these t- this takes me neoprene. And honestly, after like a year, you need a new suit. Like I go through about a suit a year. Some people Mm. go through two. 
Um, so again, it's a product that at the end of its life, like, do you think all the big companies making them have been like found a way to take them back and reuse them and like remanufacture using the material? No, they haven't done that. It's a linear system where you buy it, it's done. It goes to landfill. And so in 2016, we started working with a company called Suga, which stands for surf and yoga. So the S U and the G A together is Suga. And I was actually calling it sugar for like, yeah. a year. and they're like, no, it's actually suga. <laughs> well, it should be sugar. Sugar is like way cooler. <laughs> yeah. And so they have been chipping the wetsuits down and turning them into high quality yoga mats that are like, I actually have one. I have my suga mat and it's, it's unbelievable. And at this point, since 2016, we've saved about five tons of wetsuits from landfill by, by wow. recycling them. But the issue is, again, we are sending them to California. How many emissions was that? Mm-hmm. So we want to, like, as much as possible, not be shipping our waste all over the place. We want to be keeping it local and investing back in the local economy. So now we have um, a couple of local people who started a new company. I can't give too much information because they're actually launching it uh, Earth okay. Day in April. And they're they're recycling the mats now. So now we're giving all the, the sorry, the, the wetsuits to them now. And they're turning them into change mats for surfing door mats so kind of a similar idea different types of mats which is like yeah super super rad we'll have to get you one yeah and maybe when you get more information about that send me their contact information they sound like a great show guest as well they would be they're definitely super fun and also like volunteers and super rad rad they're women too they're rad Mm. ladies so I won't say more. If I say more, it's going to give it away. Yeah, I know. That's fine. Well, yeah. aspects about them. Um, but yeah, once they release, I'll definitely send you their contact and send you information about it. Now, I should have asked you this at the very beginning of the show, but what is your position with Surfrider? <laughs> <laughs> I am the number three wizard of Surfrider. Okay. Uh, I'm the chapter manager of Surfrider, but I'm also the spokesperson for Surfrider Foundation Canada. So there's a chapter here and in a chapter in Vancouver and a chapter in Victoria. And we're all under the umbrella of Surfrider Foundation Canada, which has its own board and own like initiatives and things it's lobbying for. And so I am the spokesperson for that and also do regional coordinator work for that. But for today's purposes, chapter manager for Surfrider Pacific Rim. Amazing. So are both of those positions you hold, are they both paid or is one? Yeah. Okay. I thought maybe the chapter organizers were, okay. So chapter organized traditionally are paid employees as well. Yeah. Like we're primarily a volunteer led organization, um, but it really, we find that it's, it's, we're more likely to be successful if you have volunteer, if you have staff who can like do the nitty gritty admin finances, day to day volunteer recruitment and be the glue that keeps everything together. Cause volunteers like people have lives outside of volunteering when the pandemic, you know, when that hit, for instance, everyone needed to take a step back. Like everyone stopped volunteering. Everyone was kind of like in the shock mode. So we, if without staff, we would have just crumbled. So you need staff to be able to keep things going and get people stoked and get people onto it and keep things rolling. Um, you know, and it's it's important to you, I think, to recognize that people just think that environmental work should be just free and should just be this like cheap labor. Yeah. Kind of change that as well. That's like, no, like environmental jobs are essential. We need these. They should be yeah. well paid. People are educated and have worked really hard to get in these positions and it should be, you know, it should be respected. And it's a really important part of of our society. And it's like, increasingly yeah. more important than it's ever been before. So, you know, really trying to like, yeah, create more 
high paying and uh, like living wage paying environmental jobs. Yeah. I agree 100%. In fact, actually, I didn't even really want to ask you that question because I hate that question, you know, working in nonprofit myself. I've also people have assumed over the years, oh, you're a volunteer, right? And it's like, no, like, and so, yeah, and it's kind of bothered me. But then I've also had to check myself because I don't want to think that, you know, volunteering is less than either. Um, No, but I certainly agree, though, there is a need to have paid positions in nonprofit work to kind of keep the ship on track to some degree so yeah exactly exactly and like you know like yourself i'm working full-time i'm doing 40 hours a week you can't expect a volunteer to do that like they might be able to do you a few hours to 10 hours maybe and you know that's a lot you know that's a lot and in turn for people's time like we like we really work to educate and train individuals and really help them increase their capacity and knowledge as environmental change makers. Like last night we had like a two hour grant writing workshop. So we do Mm. spend all like a good amount of money on training volunteers and getting them certified in different things. Like, um, in, um, why am I, well, what was first day? That's what it's called. I was like, why can I not think of that certification, (laughs) which Emery also does who you teaches. Yeah teaches that so we do wilderness first aid with him so volunteers go on like awesome remote cleanups we try to create a lot of perks for the time that they give because it is it is so invaluable um you know and our our theory is like if we can create these communities with tons of environmental leaders we'll create the political will necessary to create stronger environmental regulations like we shift that culture on the ground we invest in people and you know that that trickles up and impacts our structures Yeah, and it goes back to my sci-fi idea a little bit about the currency. That's kind of what I had in mind, though, is, yeah, we need to be paying people to be doing some of that background work. It is important. It's different than the typical just seeing people as you make more money if you sell more product or your business is successful. Like when it comes to nonprofit, it's really important to keep some of these things going. So. Totally, totally. Now, surf, surf rider. I mean, this is a whole lot of serious stuff we just talked about. Don't do you guys celebrate by going out surfing together, or where does the surf come into surf rider? <laughs> Heck yeah, we celebrate, and um, you know, our, our mission is the protection and enjoyment of the ocean. We just oh, okay. that's really important. It's like. When we spend time outdoors celebrating and enjoying, we are more likely to want to protect those places that we enjoy. So it's a really integral part of of what we do is like if we can make recreation and access more equitable and get more folks out there and, you know, give that give that experience, more people are going to want to be part of protecting those places Mm -hmm. or protecting where they play. Um, so yeah, before COVID we would, you know, we would do our meetings outside, have beach fires, have potlucks. Yeah. Go surfing together, have gatherings on the beach. Um, you know, when we do our remote shoreline cleanups, you know, we'll get the brewery to sponsor and bring some beers out and snacks out and do, um, you know, like wild salmon cookouts. So no, we have, we have all kinds of fun and that's such an important part of it. And I know something that a lot of us have really been missing. And I think for volunteers, it's been really hard for them because that's what a lot of folks do it for. You know, they love yeah. the togetherness when new folks come to the community, a lot of them get involved. Cause they're like, Oh, I don't really know anyone. You know, I'll, I'll join this rad organization that 
you know, I like surfing and I like the coast, so I'll, I'll get involved. And then they end up making a lot of friends and getting a foot in the community and learning and growing. So yeah, celebrating is essential. Like things are not all doom and gloom. So you can't put all your energy there. You know, like we don't know what's going to happen. And if it's possible, we need to spend time enjoying our lives as well, you know, and if at the end of our lives, it's, you know, it doesn't make a difference. At least we had fun. We enjoyed our lives and we are more magnetic that way. We're more influential that way when we're on this higher frequency level, because we're balanced and we're stoked about the world. Like Mm -hmm. the world is beautiful freaking crazy mind-blowing place you know a wounded world still gives us wonder food air love everything like we can't we can't discount that it's invaluable i like that about you i like how you're carrying the torch of hope with you because this topic oftentimes is very depressing but you are i like how you're counteracting everything with but there's a but but we can do this or we can do that. Yeah. There is always a, but there is hope everywhere. It lives in each one of us. It lives in the plants that come in between the the concrete. It lives in, it lives everywhere. We just have to see it. We have to expose ourselves to it. And when we expose ourselves to it, it gives us that more and that much more energy for making things better, brighter, more beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, Not as heavy as a question, but where is your office located? I'm actually in my room right now. Okay. Um, this is my fun tapestry nice. uh, that you can see. I don't think people on the podcast will see it, but I have this fun kind of freaky floral desert tapestry. Yeah. Thing. Well, the YouTube watchers will see it. Oh, this is going to be on YouTube. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Didn't I tell you? <laughs> you probably did. I've been like so slouchy, it's like looking email. around. It's fine. Things. <laughs> your hair, your hair is fine. It's funny because I actually noticed the light was starting to dim a little bit and it was making me think when I had Catherine Brewiler on the show, it it was light at the beginning. And by the end of the show, I couldn't even see her. I was just talking to this blackness and she was like, I don't want to mess up my circadian rhythm. So she didn't turn any lights on. It was hilarious. That's awesome. She's so radical. I saw Catherine. Actually, I was getting out of the surf and she was going in. She's such a freaking amazing woman. Yeah. Um, yeah, this, this the weather's been freaky here today. It's been like hailing, then sunny, then raining, then stormy. Like it's been going nonstop. So when it got darker, it was like raining and stormy, and now it's light oh, okay. again. Like the gotcha. weather's nice here. Um, but yeah, my office, our the surfrider office is located at the botanical gardens here. Okay. Botanical gardens. Where is that? Yeah. It's on uh, it's 1084 Pacific Rim Highway and it's a botanical garden. So it's it's a rainforest gardens and it's it's absolutely beautiful. You can take a tour, walk around, there's cool oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. artistic installations, um, carvings. There's a cafe, which I love uh, for all your caffeination and snacky needs. So yeah, our office is there. We share an office with Raincoast Education Society. So it's it's pretty neat. It's a really perfect spot and we're really grateful to be there. Okay, I'm gonna have to stop in there on my next visit then. Yeah, you are. You gotta come get a coffee or a snack at the gardens with me. Yeah, absolutely. I, I want to get some surf rider swag too. I'll get you some swag. Let's make it nice. happen. Awesome. We'll do a swag swag trade at the end. We'll give you some cigarette butt lumber. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, so 
Now, down here on the Great Lakes, I, one of the things that I noticed right off the bat was because when I was moving back here, I thought, okay, I'd like to get involved with something or other on the environmental side of things. And there's a couple organizations here. Um, Freshwater Alliance, I think, is one. Swim, Drink, Fish. Like, there's a few different ones. But there is no surf rider Great Lakes on the Canadian side, anyhow, that I'm aware of. Yeah. I've seen there's a Chicago and a uh, Michigan. So yeah. what's up with that? What's the deal? Why isn't Surf Rider? Why aren't we on the Great Lakes? Or is that my job? You are so freaking on it. I love this question. So right now we're part of the United States Chapter Network. So our headquarters is in San Clemente. And as it stands, Surf Rider in the United States, which we're a part of, they don't have the capacity to open any more chapters. And if you look at the map of Surfrider in the US, like they're all around the Great Lakes, they're all around the coast. Like they don't really need to, like they've covered the bases and including Hawaii as well. Yeah. Whereas, you know, in Canada, we're just on the West Coast and there's room for us to expand to BC, the Great Lakes to the East Coast of Canada. Yeah. And so what we need to do in order to open more chapters is we actually need to separate from Surfrider US so right now we're looking at doing we're in this process of affiliating so we'll become a standalone unit like Surfrider europe or Surfrider australia but it's a massive project we need a, a substantial funding substantial like restructuring for the organization structuring work but it's once we can do it which hopefully we can in the next few years then we can open chapters in the great lakes and the east coast and i would love for you to be a part of it you would be yeah. a perfect chair a perfect chair Awesome. So that's, I'm a part of that project and really want to make that happen. And if anyone listening feels really passionate about that and wants to help us out, I would love for you to get in touch. And I'd love to talk to people more about it because it's, we have a real chance to to grow across the country and make a way bigger impact. There's so many groups that want to do what we're doing. And it's like, they're having to start these new things when we already have a charity number, we already have all of these resources and systems and a theory of change that works, you know, it's, it's tried and tested and we know it works. We have hundreds of coastal victories. So, you know, we want to be able to just continue on with that. So absolutely, I love it. Yeah. Let me know what's going down. I I want to be a part of everything. So, Hey, (laughs) what's your favorite break in Tofino? Ooh, good question. I love, there's different ones for different times. Yeah. Love Rosie Bay um, at like low tide when it's like really clean, like either early in the morning or, um, you know, at sunset, like it's just such, it's so beautiful and usually a little bit less crowded. So I love Rosie Bay. I love Florencia Bay. That's an incredible spot, especially again at low tide. And that's in the Pacific Rim National Park closer to Euclid. Uh, That's an amazing spot. Um, Yeah, but I I love them all. I love them all for different reasons. You know, North, South, Chesterman, Cox, like... Long Beach, Wiccaninish Beach, Comers, they're all they're all really special and unique. Yeah. And you know, the more remote places around the sounds where we have so we're so blessed to have so much access to so many to so many beach beaches and breaks. Like it's just phenomenal compared to what a lot of folks out, out there deal with and don't have access to. So yeah. we're very privileged. My waves are frozen at the moment. Yeah, are they really? <laughs> no waves? Well, Lake Ontario is still open, but Lake Huron, um, quite a bit of it's frozen, yeah, at least where I'm living. So, no waves aside from you know, saving the world and uh, going surfing. What else are you stoked about? I love to dance with my friends, 
we are like a bunch of dancing freaks. I think when people see us, they're like, you know, confused, scared, <laughs> or want to get in on it, or like a mix of all three. Like they're just like really questioning things. Like it's very experimental. It's wild, violent. Wow, this sounds <laughs> not actually <cool>. violent. <laughs> not actually violent, but it's very like improv touch. Like we're everywhere. You know, it's like a lot wow. of hair flying. And so, yeah, I love dancing. I I'm always- imagining this very like female tribal, like out in the woods kind of. Yeah, it's got some definitely wild energy, very earthy energy, but also like fun and like, you know, tongue in cheek freaky. Like we know we're being sassy. We know we're yeah. being like, it's like, it's intentional. It's like, yeah, it's tongue in cheek. Because where so- are you guys dancing? Tofino isn't exactly like home of the clubs or anything. Well, there before pre-COVID, we had the Hatch and the Legion, where I would go dance. Oh, okay. Like people, just, you know, love to freaking dance. So we actually like we didn't have you know clubs per se, but we were we'd be getting down. And so again, that's been hard. I think that's one of my hardest parts of the pandemic for me. And again, yeah. I'm like so privileged to freaking say this, but like I just miss dancing in in a place where there are strangers and yeah. like seeing people and that energy. So. Yeah, I love I love dancing. I love going for walks and listening to podcasts. Like after this, I'm gonna go listen to my favorite Green Dreamer podcast and go walk. Nice. The surf is just like gnarly. I went yesterday and today. It's just like so windy and like yeah, just not good. And so, catching up on previous episodes of Permastoked. Yeah, I need to. I need to. So that's another good one to to listen. I have a, I have my main one, but then I have a few other ones. So no, I gotta, nice. I gotta yeah. listen to the rest of yours as well on my beach walks, which is very fitting. It's kind of cool because you you get to know things about some of the people that you know well, things you didn't know about them. Yeah, I'll say. Yeah, yeah no, super good point. You've had so many great guests who, who I really respect and admire. Um, I also love writing. So I have an Instagram page. It's just at mm. Lily Woodbury. And it's all environmental writing and kind of my insights from spending time in the outdoors. And yeah, it's all very like sustainability focused. So and it's a little bit different. It's like, it's, it's kind of wacky and um, funny and random. You know, I try to keep things light amidst the mm-hmm. heavy topics that I talk about. So I spend a lot of my time writing for that and my blog and other, yeah. other publications as well. Wow. So Lily Woodbury, you have this consulting side of things. So what does that look like? What kind of, are you consulting, like helping companies reduce their carbon footprint or what exactly is your consulting? Yeah, it's helping businesses scale their sustainable development. So whatever that may look like from, from their base of like their strategic plans, their, their mission, their foundations to their internal operations and supply chains and facilities operations to their external of like storytelling, communicating, marketing, So I'm just starting that I'm just starting out, but I've had, you know, such a great response from businesses and a few businesses I'm working for. And I think a lot of them see my strength of writing. So they're like, we want you to write blog posts for us. And they're like amazing businesses who are doing the right thing. So trying to consult them on, yeah, giving them some consulting on like directions to go in, in terms of like weaving in environmentalism, that they are reflecting intersectionality into their work and social justice so yeah, so that's all been, that's been a really cool journey as well. Um, but I, I don't have like a ton of time for it. And I just got into my master's degree as well at University mm-hmm. of Victoria. So there's a lot to balance. Yeah. Wow. Well, hey, you are doing a fantastic job. I mean, with what you're doing, I, I would definitely say you're doing your part. You're fighting the good fight. Um, when I was going into my career, if you will, um, I had no idea what I wanted to be doing out of high school. The only thing I really knew was that 
people were what mattered, just like yeah. the environment. So I went the nonprofit route. So, and I can see that same kind of thing with you and with the environmental field is, yeah, I just, I think it's really admirable for anybody who makes that sacrifice to be in that kind of work because there are so many people and they're chasing the buck. And unfortunately, the buck usually doesn't take into consideration these kind of things that matter so much. Totally. I think when you look at folks, though, who are in this work, the level of happiness and level of quality of life than the people who are chasing the buck Mm. and unfortunately are trapped in that system of, um, you know, just trying to trying to consume and materiality. It's like they're not happy. A lot of the people. Mm. You know, we're sure. much happier in these these ways that we're fulfilling our purpose and yeah. and giving back and being part of you know service. So yeah. So this is usually a pretty light question, but I'm gonna re kind of reframe it for you. So I like to ask people, what are you listening to or watching or reading? But you've already told me you're not watching anything anymore. And, <laughs> I still do watch stuff. Oh, Mahalo's <laughs> back. I love Mahalo. Uh, and I'm guessing you're reading probably some like super sophisticated, um, you know, earth saving books. So tell us maybe what you are reading, watching, listening to, but also maybe what should people interested in this also check out? Because I'm sure you got yeah. some good books and movie recommendations. <laughs> I do. I definitely do. And on my website, I actually have a resource page of like tons of read, watch, listen. Um, I definitely get into a trend of like just watching, reading and listening to straight environmental stuff. And it can honestly become a bit much. I'm like, hey, like, you know, take a chill pill and just like relax, Mm. do something different. So I told myself this month I'd read a book that would like because I love traveling and I love adventuring that would help me to kind of get in that adventure mindset without going anywhere. So I'm actually reading Turn right at Machu Picchu, which is all about um, a New York writer who's kind of like this, like savvy city dude who goes and um, he goes and does the trail that um, John Bingham. Yeah, John. No, Haram Bingham. Haram Bingham. That's the guy's name. The guy who, quote unquote, you know, discovered Machu Picchu, which oh, okay. is you know, super. The book's actually like quite colonial in a lot of ways, which I really don't like. Is it fiction or? No, it's a real story. It's, a fiction. Real story. Okay. it's like talking about the history of Machu Picchu and their adventure of find refinding it um, and not just doing it the regular tourist way of taking the train up and whatever. Like they'd like, they hike the actual, the hike actual trail that the, that the, that um, Haram Bingham did. But yeah, it's pretty colonial. So I don't like that about it. Um, books I'd recommend. I talked about project, sorry, pro- yeah, project drawdown. That's a really great one for ways we can reverse the climate crisis. I talked about Rucker Bregman, his book, um, Humankind, A Hopeful History, is I everyone should read that book. Um, also, his other book, Utopia for Realists. I love that book. And it talks about a lot of the things we've covered in the show and goes into, into big depth about them. Also, The Optimistic Environmentalist is a game changer for anyone that's like feeling down and out and needs to realize the amount of incredible progress we've made in the last century. Like it's, Mm. it's shocking what progress has been made and what's not talked about. So the optimistic environmentalist, one that's also an essential read is braiding sweetgrass by Robin wall Kimmerer, Mm. who is a um, indigenous scholar, poet, um, biologist, bryologist, scientist. Like she's just like the most amazing woman out there. 
and she weaves together traditional ecological knowledge with like her poetic insight and and science. So that book, everyone who reads that book is like, this changed my life. So like definitely recommend that one as well for people to get started listening. I always listen to green dreamer. Like I honestly listen to green dreamer podcast, that podcast. It's like, it's such a whistleblower and even on things that that are tricky. Like it talks about the dark side of clean energy and how, you know, Mm. not all of it is very clean in terms of the mining and the way that different materials are extracted and how it's done. So it's like kind of shows, gives a nuanced perspective and it's all about, yeah, regenerative environmentalism and like really deep environmental change and what's actually needed. And the guests she has on there, like, you know, just phenomenal. So I love that one. Also, I love reading everything by, oh yeah, Michaela Loach, read everything she puts out. She's uh, an activist and I love her podcast called the Yikes Podcast. Um, Ethical Unicorn, she's out of the UK. Her name's Francesca Willow, but her Instagram's Ethical Unicorn. Read everything on her website. Oh. Read all of her blogs. Like she's just brilliant, brilliant social justice and environmental thinker and writer. Um, yeah, love her. Leah Thomas is a young woman who coined intersectional environmentalism. And so everything she writes on intersectional environmentalism on Instagram and on their website is super rad. Then in terms of watching, <laughs> There's, there's so many amazing films. Definitely check out um, when when it happens again this year, the Surfrider Short Film Festival. I curate that and it's surf and environmental films from all around the world that are like, yeah, just really pushing the edge and really progressive. Um, so that's really, really, really cool. I love um, another one called How to Change the World. And it's a story about Greenpeace. That one's a really mm. inspiring environmental documentary. Kiss the Ground, the movie about the book all about regenerative agriculture, which I talked about earlier, that's like totally necessary. Um, but this week I actually, I had a, like last week with my boyfriend and my roommate and her, her, her boyfriend, we watched the room with Tommy mm. Wiseau and I've never watched that. Oh movie. yeah. yeah, yeah. You know which one I'm talking about? I watched that and I was like, so off for the rest of the night. I was like, this movie just made me feel so weird, but so funny. It's like, hi Mark. You know, isn't like, that the, I haven't seen it, but isn't that the movie? It's supposed to be like the weirdest, worst movie of all time. Worst mo- yeah, that's right. And then they it's made a bird, now. the disaster artist or something. Yeah. Like and then I just okay. watched the disaster artist this week with James Franco and James Franco plays Tommy Wiseau and he's just brilliant in it. So I do try to like, you know, take a break. Sometimes I can get overwhelmed. Yeah just like inundating myself with information it's like take a break watch some funny stuff get wacky yeah um so yeah definitely the room and the disaster artists are hilarious definitely recommend that um one of the things you said earlier uh, brought up a thought for me and i thought this was an interesting thing when it happened me and my wife so in about i'm going to say 2004 2005 back in my hometown leamington ontario My wife's an interior designer and she's really passionate about green design. She has what's called her LEED certification. So she can design a space. Yeah. I'm familiar with it. That's badass. Your wife's awesome. Yeah. So she's really in all this stuff. This will probably be one of the few podcasts that I've created that she'll actually listen to. (laughs) Um, What's her name? Her name is Erin Shanks. Hey, Erin. You rope. Yeah. So... Back in the early 2000s, I remember in my hometown, wind turbines became the big hot thing. And so clean energy, right? 
sounds great. Except in our town, they wanted to put them in the lake. And they wanted to put them basically right where we surfed, right where all the jet skis and boaters and their zoning proposal was terrible. Let's just put it that way. It cut into all the leisure and recreation. Um, and, you know, the argument was, you know, putting these things into the ground, who knows what that's going to stir up and what kind of problems that'll cause. I mean, I'm sure that that's probably not much different than, you know, when they install bridges and things, but then again, I don't know how much damage that causes on the environment either. So maybe that's no, not, yeah. Really not. There's like the argument that like that wind energy, you know, it impacts bird populations. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, you look at the number one killer of animals. It is climate change. Like if we want to protect species, we need to address climate change. We need to invest in clean energy infrastructure. Like that's yeah. that. I think when yeah. people try to point out the infrastructural flaws and impacts, any infrastructure is going to have an impact in some way, shape, or form. There's obviously ways that we can make designs and make buildings and all infrastructure more, more environmentally friendly, like your wife with the LEED certification. And so I think when people make that argument, they're really just trying to negate things away from clean energy. They're like, well, mm -hmm. it's got a negative impact. Like, let's not do it. And it's like, well, what's better, that or like a pipeline? You yeah. know, it's like the answer is pretty clear. And there's ways there we're learning so much more of how we can install clean energy so that it lessens impacts on the ground. If there are any, yeah. you know, some it's like, it's, it's totally good to go, but with wind and some other, some other technologies, it's a bit trickier. But well, like, we, were on yeah. we were on different sides of the fence with that argument and it was interesting. Right. But, but at the same time, there's also money and greed too, right? Like the reason why they wanted to put those in the lake, was because the the cost of it would be way less and it was, I don't know, through the crown or something. So they're not having to pay, you know, people for the land rights and stuff like that. But anyway, it was interesting. My town, I don't think anyone ever went to town hall. When that came to town, holy smokes, the place was packed. So yeah. wind turbines were not installed in the water but they are all around in the county, which I think is great. We just didn't want them in the water, right? So I would yeah. Agree rather and then than, yeah. And then farmers are getting paid for using their land as well, right? Whereas the other That's option, they were they were trying to bypass all that. So totally. And your grid is strengthened. Your town, like whoever's like has those developments, probably is probably making money because they're able to sell it back to the grid, like whatever, like. Yeah, it just totally makes sense across the board. I think we're kind of coming to a close here. Is there anything that you want to put out there that you haven't had a chance to say yet? We've talked about a lot. Like, I yeah. think you know, I just want people to, to feel encouraged that we are in this really incredible time and we have this window of opportunity to make a difference. And if we can, if we're in a position to make a difference, we absolutely should. You know, I believe that that we can and we can turn the tides on what we're dealing with and that we'll never be forgotten for it. You know, mm. you know, it's really our time to stand up and be courageous and in that pursuit, become a whole lot more connected to ourselves, each other and the planet. So mm. I just want to tell people to stay stoked, uh, stay safe and stay brave. And we're in this together. I love it. Yeah, I feel so full of hope right now. 
good. Man, I thought we were good. screwed, but you're like oh, really made me feel like wow, we got a we got a fighting chance here. Yeah, like you said, fight the good fight, never give up. Like that is the essence. Yeah. That is so, powerful. No one can take that away from you. So if people want to get involved in Surfrider or check it out, where can they find you guys on the webs? And on the webs, you can surf the webs to find us at pacificrim.surfrider.org. Um, search us up on Facebook, Surfrider underscore Pacific Rim. Same on Instagram. It's, yeah, Surfrider underscore Pacific Rim. You can find me in my writing at Lily Woodbury on Instagram. It's L-I-L-L-Y. W O O D B U R Y. And um, you can also find my email on the website for Surfrider as well to get in touch. We've all, all kinds of resources. So even though we don't have Surfrider across the country, we have an ocean friendly resource portal that people can take all of our toolkits, guidelines, resources, and work to create ocean friendly communities where they live with everything that we've established. Oh. We can do calls, consultations, and kind of get that process rolling. Oh, super cool. Nice. Well, hey, Permastoke is a friend of Surfrider. We're here to promote awesome work you're doing. I love it. It's been great speaking to you and uh, just so relieved to know there's people like you guys out there um, looking into some of this and because we definitely need those advocates and those role models as well. So, Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Derek. Stoked to be past, continue on this journey together and uh, be with you on this on this transformative journey. You are a necessary part of it. You are great energy. So keep that rolling. Absolutely. Thank you. So I can't wait to get up to Tofino and we'll hit some surf together. For yeah, sure. let's do it. Right on. Nice. But in the meantime, I want you to stay stoked. Oh, I will. You too. Awesome. Right on. That's all for episode number 40 of Permastoked. I hope you enjoyed listening or watching that one. Possibly you learned a thing or two about Surfrider and how to protect our, our seas, whether they be inland or the oceans. So for more information, check out Surfrider online at www.pacificrim.surfrider.org. They're on Facebook at Surfrider Pacific Rim Instagram at Surfrider underscore Pacific Rim, Twitter at Surfrider Pass Rim. For more information on Lily Woodbury, please visit Lily, that's Lily with two L's, lilywoodbury.com. She's on Facebook at lily.woodbury, Instagram at lilywoodbury, and Twitter at lily underscore woodbury. Mahalo again, Lily. like to give a big mahalo to Mark Malibu and the Wasagas for providing our intro music Hey Chihuahua off their 2019 album Crash Monster Beach and our outro music End of Summer off their 2017 album Return of the Wasagas. For more information visit www.wasagas.com. But of course, mahalo to all you listeners out there. We are so grateful that you chose to join us for this episode and we look forward to providing you with even more awesome content in the future. More episodes are on their way, but in the meantime, make sure to go back and listen to our previous episodes. 
Don't miss an episode ever again by subscribing on the Alexa app, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Podbean, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please let us know how we're doing by leaving us a rating and review. And don't forget to share with your family and friends over social media or by spreading the word in the lineup. To learn more about Freshwater Surf Goods and to check out our products and services, visit www.freshwatersurfgoods.com. Sign up for our newsletter so you can stay up to date on new products, new episodes of Permastoked, events, our surf, sup, and yoga schedule, and other exciting news. And don't forget, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Freshwater Surf Goods. But if you're part of the surf or sup industry, or a surfaholic wanting to connect with your tribe and stay informed as to what's happening all across the Great Lakes and Canadian surf scene, then join our Facebook group, the All Canadian Surf and Sup Club. If you have an idea for collaboration, would like to recommend a future guest, would like to invite me to an event or book me to teach surf, sup, or yoga, you'd like to carry our products in your store, if you or your company are interested in being a sponsor of the show, discussing an ambassadorship or a bro deal, and for anything else, hit me up on social media or email me at Derek at freshwatersurfgoods.com. That's Derek at freshwatersurfgoods.com, D-E-R-I-K. I look forward to next time and getting to know you all better. In the meantime, I'm your host, Derek Hyatt. Mahalo, freshies. Keep surfing and stay stoked.